Welcome again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God. Uh, I am Pastor Travis Alltop of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church, and we trust and pray that you're getting some help from these Bible lessons that we broadcast weekly. And of course, uh, our final authority is found on the table before me today, and that is the Authorized Version King James Bible. And this week, I'd ask you to turn in that Bible to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and I want to discuss with you a subject that uh, I think is of great interest here in these passages that we're going to look at today. In Matthew 27, what we have recorded for us is the death and crucifixion of the Lord and Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And of course, Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John all record this scene, and Matthew here gives us some details about some of the people who attended this awful scene that day outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was guilty of nothing. He was innocent. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, who did no sin, he knew no sin, and in him was no sin. And yet, because of the great love of God towards sinners like me and you, he became sin that we through his uh, poverty might be made rich. The scripture is plain about how salvation works. It says, God hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And all of this took place in a great transaction, the greatest transaction that ever took place between heaven and earth, and that was the blood sacrifice that was willingly offered by the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, on Calvary's cross some 2,000 years ago. Let's look today at some of the people that were there that day, some of the eyewitnesses and some of the response of what we call, and I'll simply entitle, the crowd at the cross. Here in Matthew chapter 27, let's begin by reading in verse 33. The scripture says, when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull. In Luke chapter 23, verse 33, the King James Bible tells you that it's a place called Calvary. It's the place of the skull. It's Golgotha. It's Calvary. It's where Jesus Christ died for our sins. And verse 34 says, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And so let's talk about this crowd that is gathered at the cross. We're going to see here in Matthew 27 uh, at least four different groups of people. Uh, obviously, at the cross, we know his mother was there, Mary. We know John the Apostle was there. Some of the women who had ministered to the Lord, who he had been a great blessing to, Mary Magdalene, they were there. There were believers that came to watch the end, as they say. And here we find the first group in this crowd are the Roman soldiers that are described here in verse 35 and 36. These Roman soldiers are what I refer to as the calloused crowd because these men have, not, uh, have just sat down with uh, the Savior having been stripped of his clothing. They have now, they're now shooting dice. They're playing a game. They're casting lots in order to decide who's going to get to keep his clothing articles. And after they've done this, the Bible says in verse 36 that they sat down, sitting down, they watched him there. This is a calloused crowd because I want to describe for you what they're watching. They're watching, remember, it's not just Jesus Christ dying that day. There were two other thieves there who were dying through uh, a death, uh, through Roman crucifixion. This is how the Roman government took care of criminals when they put them to death and executed them. They used the cross. It was a very cruel way of punishment. Uh, people were nailed to this thing. They were stood up outside the city walls of the uh, Jerusalem in this case, 
and they had a plaque above their cross that explained the crimes that they had committed. So people passing in and out of the city could look up on the ones that were being crucified and see what it was they were guilty of. And I'm going to tell you, crucifixion is a very slow, agonizing, painful, humiliating public death. Uh, it uh, oftentimes, they, they say, history says, that it would take up to two days for a victim of crucifixion to die. Of course, Jesus Christ died in six hours because he was the one that had control over his spirit. But more than that, he had also been beaten mercilessly uh, before he went to the cross. But these men are viewing three men dying, slow, agonizing deaths, as the blood drips out of their wounds, and then, of course, with the Lord Jesus Christ, he has a crown of thorns in his head, mashed down, having been beaten down with a reed. Uh, he has had his beard ripped out of his face. He has been whipped with a cat of nine tails, and his flesh is hanging in ribbons, according to Psalm 22. And this man has been now nailed to a cross, and sitting down, they watched him there. Have you ever considered what they're watching? It's like they're watching uh, some kind of entertainment. These men's hearts are calloused, and can I tell you today that there are many people whose hearts are calloused, and they're not moved by human suffering. They're not moved by the love of God, which was on display here that day. They're not moved by anything that they see because their heart is hard, their conscience is seared, and they have a calloused conscience and heart. And I'm going to tell you what will do that to you. We live in a generation that is image-oriented. Back there in Genesis 6, before God destroyed the known world there in Genesis 6 during Noah's day with a flood, listen, those men's imaginations were only evil continually. And listen, that's because uh, perversion and violence were rampant. And listen, I can tell you today that television, satellite, internet, uh, iPhones and all of this make images, movies, and every kind of filth and perversion and violent act available at one's fingertips. And never have we lived in a society that was more calloused to human suffering and certainly to the suffering of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the love of God being manifested in that. We've never had a society that was more calloused and cold toward these things. They're, that callous crowd today is just like these Roman soldiers sitting down. They watched him there. I can tell you as a preacher that preaches to this generation, I have seen teenagers who hardly can, you can't get an amen out of them. They're not interested. They sleep. They, they, uh, they, they don't cry. They don't have any heart left because all of their, all of their feeling has been robbed from them due to the images that they are digesting throughout the week. Nothing is real. The reason some of they want to know why these kids can come in and shoot a place up in cold blood and have no remorse. Well, amen. You just need to look at their computer to see what they've been looking at. Look at some of these modern day video games that desensitize, uh, the human heart. To the point that blood and suffering and agony and assault and, uh, and all of these things no longer moves a man the way it was designed to do. And I'm telling you, we're in that place. Uh, listen, these men are callous. They can sit and watch men dying, slow, agonizing, bloody deaths and not be moved. Years ago, I read a book about uh, Civil War soldiers and how that uh, they would write home throughout the war. And early on in that war, they would, their letters would say to their wives back at home, they'd say, if I never see another battlefield, it'll be too soon. And they would describe how that they couldn't get the images out of their mind of uh, suffering uh, soldiers and comrades and men who had lost arms and, and the bloody scenes on these battlefields that were fought across the South some 150-some years ago. But by the end of the war, those same men were riding home and one man wrote, he said, I don't know when my change came, wife, but it certainly has come. 
And he described how he could walk across dead bodies, decapitated men, and dying uh, horses, and no longer feel compassion for anything because their heart had been hardened, and they were unfortunately now used to the carnage. They were used to it. And that's what these Roman soldiers were doing. They're sitting down watching him there. They're calloused. Secondly, notice in verse 39, there's another crowd at the foot of the cross. Verse 39 here says, when they passed by, I'm sorry, they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. And so the second group that we see here at, at Calvary is the, is the uh, careless crowd, what I'll call careless. You say, why are you saying they're careless? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 39 that they are passing by. They haven't stopped to get any facts. They haven't stopped to really look at what's going on. They're just passing by, but yet they have an opinion that they want to offer. They say, oh yeah, this is thou that destroys the temple. They taunt the Lord. They mock him as they pass by. And listen, the only thing they could possibly know is what they have simply heard coming down the road, people talking and gossiping. And it's that way today. Many people miss salvation and miss the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're careless. They've heard this and they've heard that. And one crowd says this and one crowd says that. And they, they form their opinions off hearsay. And that's a deadly thing to do. I'm going to tell you, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, you better stop long enough and inquire to find out what the facts actually are. Because these people are very careless. They're just passing by and they're wagging their head. I've seen that same response as we've preached the gospel on the streets of Danville and Harrodsburg and other places where we go. Uh, many times someone, if you're standing at a street corner at an intersection, people will pull up and they still wag the head from side to side as if disgusted by somebody that would be so brazen and bold as to come out and preach Jesus Christ and him crucified publicly. Well, can I tell you that if you'd stop long enough to consider what you're wagging your head about, you wouldn't do that. You would stop and realize that it was the love of God being manifested toward men, Jesus Christ suffering for them, suffering for me, and suffering for you. These people were careless. You realize if they'd have stopped, they could have talked to people like John the Apostle. They could have talked to Mary, his mother. They could have inquired at Mary Magdalene's mouth about what is this man? Why is this man dying? He, what, what did he do wrong? I, I don't understand why that he's being crucified because he said he was the king of the Jews. And listen, there were people there who understood Jesus Christ and the great power that he possessed and how that he had changed their life and cast devils out of them and changed their life forever. Listen, they could have found out the facts, but no, they were careless. And can I tell you, some of you gossips that are listening to me this morning, we need to be cautious and you need to be careful with your words. Many times we speak carelessly about things that are very sobering and very true, things that are very holy. Uh, listen, Jesus Christ said these words in Matthew 12, verse 36. He says, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now, these people are careless this crowd at the cross that passes by, because they said this in verse 40, they were saying, thou that destroyest the temple. Well, listen, that's not what he said. He didn't say he was going to destroy the temple. What they're referring to is something that happened early on in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ from John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, he simply said over there, he says, talking to a crowd of uh, disciples, I'm sorry, not disciples, but Pharisees. He said, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. He never said he was going to destroy it. He said, if you destroy it, I'll raise it up. And of course he was speaking of the temple, which is his body. 
But see, they never got it quite right. They only had half the truth. They only had part of the facts. And so these people are careless, just like many churchgoers are today. Uh, you know, it wasn't long ago there was a man come up to me, a young man. I was in a church meeting. I wasn't in Kentucky. I was somewhere else, and a man come up to me, and he mentioned someone, a preacher that I know from a distance. I don't know him well, but I know of him, and I've heard he's a good man, but I heard he had some trouble recently. Well, this guy was fixing to tell me all that he knew about that, and, you know, I put my hand up, and I said, you know what, sir, do me a favor. I said, I'm going to apply some good advice I learned from an old preacher a long time ago. And I said that I please do not introduce me to anything that is none of my business. And I'm going to tell you, your life will go a lot smoother and a lot better if you'll just ignore some of the things that people want to deliver to you in the form of gossip and hearsay and half-truth. You need, if you really want the truth, you're going to have to dig for it and find it rather than believe in what people carelessly believed about the Lord Jesus. They walked by wagging their head. They were careless. They should have stopped and got the facts. Then we find another crowd. Look at verse 41. The Bible says, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him and with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of the Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Now we have another crowd. This is the comfortable crowd. You say, how do you get that they're comfortable? Well, these are religious people. This is the Pharisees, this is the scribes and the chief priests, the elders. These people are religious to the core, and yet they cannot stand Jesus Christ. And that crowd is still around today. I wonder how many people will go to church this Sunday morning simply to do their, quote, religious duty. To go down and hear someone lecture about the golden rule and talk about how we need to stamp out poverty and hunger. Friend, that is not the gospel, and that is not what church is all about. Listen, salvation is not found in your list of do's and don'ts. Salvation and eternal life is not offered through your church. I don't care if it's a Baptist church, a Presbyterian church, or a Catholic church. Religion and denominationalism have nothing to do with eternal life. Are you getting that? Listen, I'm a Baptist and I'm not ashamed to be one, but I'm not going to heaven because I'm a Baptist. <clears throat> and you're not going to heaven because you're a member of a particular denomination or not. Many times here in Danville, as I've offered a gospel tract to somebody on the street, I've had them say, well, I'm a Baptist. My question always is, are you a saved Baptist or a lost Baptist? I reached a gospel booklet one time, offered it to a lady in her car at the red light, and she said, I'm a Catholic. And I said, great. Are you a saved Catholic or a lost Catholic? You see, I'm not dealing in those deal religion right now. We are not uh, out promoting a religion or a church or a creed or somebody's particular viewpoint. We're out pushing the gospel, which is all built around one man and the fact that that one man died on a cross for the world, was buried and rose again the third day. But these people are at the foot of the cross taunting the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they are comfortable with their religion. They didn't want anything more. And listen, it was the common man that heard Jesus Christ gladly. It was the common man, it was the drunkard and the harlots and the publicans that came to Jesus Christ. It was the, the demon-possessed people that came and got a touch from him. And it was the harlots and publicans that were friends to Jesus Christ because he was a friend to them. And the religious crowd, the self-righteous crowd, they were comfortable with their life. They thought they were God's gift to the world. And they weren't interested in a man coming and preaching to them also. 
Listen, Jesus Christ had some of his most scalding words and sermons for those Pharisees and self-righteous people that filled the temples and the synagogues. Now, listen to me. I'm a Baptist preacher, and I go to church, and, and uh, I, I believe in all of that. But what I'm saying is my hope of heaven is not built around some building I go into on Sundays. It's not built around a, some man-made religion or some set of rules that a man came up with. It's not built around those things. It's built around the person and work of the lovely, lowly Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that took away my sins when I believed upon him. Listen, these men were comfortable, and they're mocking the Lord, and they're challenging him, saying if he, he said he saved others, one of them said, himself he cannot save. Well, you know something? There's some truth in that. The guy just didn't know how much truth he was speaking. This religious man who was comfortable in his religion and was at the foot of the cross proudly mocking the Lord Jesus. Listen, he said he saved others himself he cannot save there in verse 42. You know, that's really a statement of truth, although this knucklehead had no idea what he was saying. The fact of the matter is, if Jesus Christ had saved himself from the cross and the agony of suffering there that day, and he could have, he could have called for 12 legions of angels and put a stop to the whole thing, but he didn't do it. No, because he came to finish the work that his father had given him to do. But listen, had he saved himself, he could not have saved others. That's the truth. Because listen, it's his death and his suffering that offers pardon to a fallen creation. It's his death and suffering and uh, dying upon the cross that offered me my pardon and eternal life. Bless his wonderful name. He saved others himself he cannot save. That's right. If he'd have saved himself, he would not have been able to save others. But oh, Bless his wonderful name that he came to finish the work that his father gave for him to do, and he finished it. In fact, in John chapter 19, verse 30, are the great uh, triumphant cries of the Savior as he dies when he says, It is finished. And brethren, it was finished. Redemption's work was done. The blood that needed to be shed to clear the sins of the world had been poured out there on Calvary's cross. On the tree, he bore my sins in his own body for me. Right here, this comfortable crowd didn't get it. And that comfortable crowd was comfortable with their religion, and many religious people still don't get it. Do you understand it? Have you ever looked in faith to Calvary's bleeding lamb? Have you ever, with the songwriter says, have you ever sung with the songwriter and felt it in your heart, that great line from Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me? Where the songwriter says, could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Have you ever done that? The religious crowd has to repent of their religion and repent of their dead works before they'll ever be able to get in on eternal life. This religious crowd at the foot of the cross that mocked him that day were comfortable with what they had. But read on down with me. Look down in verse 45. There's another crowd there. The Bible says in verse 45 of Matthew 27, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. So from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, the darkness came as Jesus died there. And the Bible says in verse 46, About the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, here's what he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As Jesus Christ became sin, as he suffered and died, as 
Every sinner ought to suffer and die for their sins. He dying as our substitute, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The Lord laying upon him the iniquity of us all. He cries out, my God, my God. It's the only place in the Bible where he doesn't refer to God as his father. Because God the Father had turned his back upon him and allowed him to become sin for the world while the wrath of God poured out upon the Son of God that day. And he cried out in agony, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But look here in verse 47. We're still looking at the crowd at the cross. And in verse 47, the Bible says, Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias, which is Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Well, this is what I call the confused crowd because they knew something about the Bible because Malachi chapter four is very plain in prophecy in the Old Testament that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that Elijah would come. That's what it says. You read Malachi chapter four, verses one through six, Elijah will come before that great day. So they knew something about the Bible, but they're confused because Jesus did not call for Elijah right here. He called out to God and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These people are confused, not only about their Bible, but they're confused by the simplicity of what had been said. And we still have that crowd around today. People who are confused. You know what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3? He says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Oh, how I've met the confused crowd these days. They know something of the Bible, but have no idea what they're looking at or what they're to be looking for. I remember, I've probably told this story before, but I remember a, a man from Center College, a young man who was about to graduate, and he had received a couple of gospel tracts through the, the months of him being here in Danville, and he finally called me up and he said, Preacher, I want to come talk to you. I'd like to talk to you about this, quote, propaganda that you're handing out on the streets here in Danville. And I said, well, come on down. And he came to see me, and we sat for three hours in my office discussing the Bible. And he had been exposed to a lot of different religious programs and and uh, different church ideas, and yet he was unsaved. And as I began to give him the gospel plan of salvation, how that Christ died for his sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, he interrupted me and he said something I've never forgotten. He said, well, listen, he said, you're going to tell me this, but if I went across town to the Pentecostal preacher, he'd tell me something different. And if I went to the Church of Christ elder, he'd tell me something different. And if I went to the Presbyterian elder, he'd tell me yet something else. And if I'll go to the Catholic priest, he's got a different setup and a different set of instructions for me. He says, how am I supposed to know who's telling me the truth? And I looked at him and I said, you know something? I graduated 12th grade. I graduated high school. I never went to college. I don't have a college degree. And you're about to get one from one of the finest, uh, most respected colleges in the state of Kentucky. And yet I said, you're going to look at me and, and honestly try to tell me that you cannot tell when someone's taking a Bible and resting the scriptures. I said, you know what, if I were you, I'd ask for my tuition back because you're just being lazy. He, listen, he had missed. He was confused on purpose. These people at the foot of the cross were confused about what Jesus Christ was crying out about, and they knew a little bit about the Bible enough to talk something about Elijah. But it's the same way today. A lot of people like to be confused about quote, what the Bible has to say. But I'm here to tell you that it's simple enough that a little child can understand the gospel and respond to it.
You say, well, how am I supposed to know who's telling me the truth? Get you a Bible and read it. The Scripture says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now, is that simple enough? The people who have eternal life are those who have Jesus Christ abiding in their hearts by faith. And you know something in the heart of every man, everybody that's listening to me today, you have a desire, if you're in your right mind, you have a desire to live. You want to go on living. Well, can I tell you, the thing that conquers death and takes the sting out of death and gives you eternal hope and the promise of eternal life to come is found in one place. And that place is Calvary, where the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died for you as your substitute in your place for your sins and then was buried and rose from the dead three days later. The Bible says that God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by this man, Jesus Christ, in whom he hath given assurance unto all men, listen, in that he raised him from the dead. Listen, I have a living Savior, not a dead religion. I have a Savior who liveth to make intercession for me, and he'll be your Savior if you'll but come to him. Listen, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he goes on to say in John six thirty seven, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now, is that simple enough? You as a guilty, ungodly sinner, I'm talking to you, you that have broken God's law. You have, you have defiled God's law. You have broken it. There is no difference for all have sinned. If any man say he have not sinned, he is a liar and the truth is not in him is what the Bible says. But if you'll own up to the fact that you are a sinner and come humbly to the cross of Calvary and call upon Jesus Christ for mercy, brother, you will find it. That doesn't have anything to do with your works. That doesn't have anything to do with anybody's church or denomination. That has to do with you humbling yourself before a holy God who you have offended by your sins and coming to him and asking humbly for pardon and mercy. The dying thief found mercy that day. He didn't listen, thank God, to the crowd at the cross. He wasn't so calloused like the Roman soldiers. He wasn't so careless like the gossips that passed by. He wasn't certainly comfortable with a religion. He didn't have any. So he had a great advantage of getting to Jesus because he didn't have the great stumbling block of man-made religion. And certainly he wasn't confused because he looked over and he said, This man had done nothing amiss. And he cried out in faith and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And you know what Jesus Christ answered that old boy that day? Oh, I'm glad the Bible records it. He looks over at that repentant, believing sinner, and he says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And can I tell you, he's never turned one away yet. You say, you don't want know what I've done. No, don't let the devil hang that over you. You take all your sin and all of where you're at. You take all your filth and all your ungodliness, your drunkenness, your lying, your adultery, your lust. Amen. Your covetousness, your whatever your sin is, you bring it to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, here it all is. I'm guilty. I've done this. I have nobody to blame but myself. But dear God, would you have mercy on me for Christ's sake? And see if God won't reach down in his mercy and do for you what he's done for millions before you. And that is save you and give you new life through Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel is simple. Don't be confused like this crowd. You come just the way you are. Sinful. Desiring a new life. And you call upon the, the Lord Jesus and you'll find that he'll... Take every sinner that comes. He shed his blood that we might be cleansed. 
That Bible tells us the great promise of Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus Christ paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. What about you, listening friend? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If not yet, why not now? Why not today? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Come while you can. Trust Jesus Christ, and you'll find him to be a lovely Savior and a very loving Lord who said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. May God help you to do that today. Let us know if you get saved. We'd love to hear from you. And may God bless you till next time.